Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 139 of the Real Life Runners podcast. As runners, we know that running isn't always pretty, that there are definitely some gross things that we deal with as runners, like feet and toenails and GI issues and all the things that only runners would understand. So today we're going to be talking about those and things that you can do to help out. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. Okay, so this episode is inspired by several tribe members who wanted us to talk about things that only runners would understand, like some of the grosser sides of running that you know, all of us deal with, but maybe you don't always talk about. Yeah, maybe the podcast to listen to on headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not necessarily, depending on who you're with, you know, I mean, we're not going to be cursing or anything like that. So, I mean, your kids, if if they're with you, they're probably going to get a kick out of talking about these kind of things. That's a good point. It's it's the other, like kids might get a, find it amusing, but it's the other like adults in your life who might not be runners that will just be confused by this entire episode <laughs> and not like, see what? any of the humor in it. What are you listening to right now? Why are you talking about these kinds of things? I mean, I like that you put in the intro, we're talking about various things like feet and toenails, because as runners, these are not always connected things. Oh, they, they can they, be very different. They separate each other. They, they, they separate <laughs> each other. So like we know, running has a tendency to bring down a lot of the privacy walls that we tend to put up around us, right? Because and we've talked about before how things tend to just come out on a long run. You just tend to share things that you wouldn't share with other people after about five, six miles. You just, the wall are down you're talking about all sorts of crazy stuff and this can happen even with people that you've relatively just met you know like that's the craziest thing I mean you can start talking about very private types of issues with relatively new friends right it's it's the runner connection like yeah you're so busy and and focused on that you need to keep running that you're just you're, you're bringing down all your other barriers it's it's very kind of raw out there and you also just kind of realize that other runners get it mm-hmm. and it depends on you know what exactly you're sharing some people share some very personal like feelings and emotions can come out things can get pretty raw like out there. personal issues right yeah, that, family that, issues that can all come out yeah. but also it's just sort of like really personal physical issues that are maybe currently experiencing as you go through your your run oh yeah that that just kind of get shared yeah a lot yeah I mean Mm -hmm. if I would say like if you've ever run with someone before and you've had an experience like this where you just find yourself talking about personal issues that you were like what what why am I talking about this right now like if you've ever done this you've probably had the experience of after your run, like number one, you just feel like relieved. Like you feel like closer to that person and you're just like, wow, that was great. And then a couple hours later, you're like, did I overshare? Was that too much information? (laughs) They're never going to run with me again. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I mean, that is just one of those things I think that all of us have probably thought to ourselves if we've ever experienced this kind of sharing on a run. Well, this is why it was nice when, uh, when I started running, it was, it was on the cross country team. They had to run with you again. Cause there was practice the next day. <laughs> there was no avoiding running with you again. Sorry, coach. I'm not with that guy today. <laughs> he talks about really weird things. So yeah. So if you've ever experienced that, you know exactly what we're talking about here. Um, I mean, I have a friend that she has to go to the bathroom, like at the start of every run, it's just what happens. Like and there's plenty of times that I've run with lots of people that need bathroom stops. And they're like, like I was running with someone um, last week and, and she's like, I need to go to the bathroom. And I'm like, okay, um, you want to go behind the bushes? She's like, it's not that kind of a stop. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay understood. Then. There's a Publix that coming up here. The grocery store is open because all the parks and public restrooms are all closed. All you know, down. So it's like, oh, shoot, what do I do? But, um, but yeah, luckily we found, we found an open restroom, so we were good to go. But this is one of those things that just happens on the run and all runners kind of get it. Yeah. Trail runners get it even more. Oh, I bet. There's not a Publix up there on the right. There's no Publix. (laughs) (laughs) So today we're going to talk about some of the dirtier parts of running that maybe most people don't understand unless they actually are a runner. Hopefully it's a, it's an amusing and more lighthearted episode. That's the goal here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we're going to be 
I'm not sure how much we're going to be sharing because we don't know until we're actually talking here. Let's see but, how it goes. Yeah. All right, let's kick things off with feet because feet are gross. Feet are not gross. Okay. <laughs> I I I think I have very cute feet personally. You do. They're adorable. I, I love them. Except <laughs> not in that way. Not in like a creepy feet way though. <laughs> but when I was a kid, well, I was a teenager and I actually put my foot through a pane of glass and I was so upset because I, I said, now I'll never be a foot model. Like, you know, like the old Brady Bunch. Yes. Wasn't it, wasn't it Brady Bunch when she get like hit in the nose with the football? Yeah. 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 Now and I'll never be a teen model. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Nailed it. So now I have like some scars on my feet from this thing. And it's funny because people always think they're blisters, but they're totally not blisters. Like I actually had to have surgery and had this have to have the skin replaced on my foot. So I have... No, if you look closely, it's definitely not a blister. It's yeah, but I, it's one of those things that I have to tell when I go get a pedicure. You know, once or twice a year when I treat myself to that, um, I always say like, don't don't touch it don't because touch like they have their um, scraper scraper and yep. buffer thing. <laughs> Why can I not think of it? But the pumice stone. There you go. There we go. So where they like you know make you, your foot all nice and soft, and they take away your your calluses and your rough patches and. Um, the first time I ever did it after I ever had a pedicure after this happened, I didn't even think about it. And the lady went at it and I just started bleeding. I was like, oh, geez. So, you know, this is something that feet can be gross, right? Okay. So runners have this weird relationship with their feet because um, we're very grateful for what our feet can do for us, like where they can take us, mm-hmm. what we're able to accomplish because of our feet. Um, proud of proud of our feet, but also sometimes a little ashamed at their actual physical appearance. But then you have other runners that take great pride in their awkward physical appearance. In their, their gross feet. toes. Right, exactly. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. You think your toes are great? I- I'm missing three toenails on my left foot. Like, <laughs> like you is... have a toenail that's permanently purple. Yes. Yes, I have. I have. And the girls know, like, if they accidentally, like, you know, step on my foot or something oh, like that. look out. And it depends on which which toe they land on and like you know riley's literally kicked my foot and been like oh i'm sorry was that the bad toe yeah like, the bad toe the bad toe well, we all know it because if someone hits the bad toe it's it's almost like kevin gets kicked in between the legs yes a like, little bit it's really that's like the, the type of reaction the the severity of the reaction he has to like go sit in a corner and like and breathe it out for a little breath. while yeah like it, it's a real sensitive spot for you yeah i mean it's the it's the second toe on my right foot that toenail has has not grown correctly since I was like 17 years old. Yeah. So do you fall into the camp of being ashamed of the way that your feet look? No, I take great pride in my feet. Okay. Great pride great in them. Pr- and especially with your toenails. Your yeah. Feet. I mean, I ran in college with a guy who he based the color of his toenails was a good estimate of how many miles per week he was running. Oh. He had like 80 mile per week toenails, 90. <laughs> like he knew roughly what it was. There were shades of purple going into shades of black yeah. that that let him know like where his training was at. Yeah. I've never lost a toenail personally. Um, but anyway, we, we're going to get in, dig into some toenails in a little bit here. So let's talk about... Did you say dig into toenails? I know. That sounds gross, doesn't it? All right. Let's start with something better. Let's start with blisters. Perfect. <laughs> so so when we talk about your feet, okay, we're going to start with feet, and we're just going to talk about blisters everywhere, because blisters are something that people can tend to get when they, especially if they start running, or if they change shoes, or if they're not wearing proper socks. So let's talk about blisters first. Yeah, blisters come up with most runners pretty quick before they get into any sorts of other major issues. Blisters tend to show up in like the first couple of days of, of being a runner. Yeah. Um, it's it's like, hey, welcome to running, you got a blister. Yeah. Um, and then some people stop and like, oh, okay, I guess I'm not doing this. But the thing is that there's such easy fixes to a lot of them. Right. Such easy fixes, depending on where they are. All right, let's start with you've got a blister on the back of the foot like on the achilles okay okay usually a taller pair of socks will fix this if you're a big fan with like no show invisible socks Mm -hmm. or not even wearing socks then the back of your foot is literally just going to rub on the back of your shoe Mm -hmm. and that's going to cause a rub spot which will probably lead to a blister exactly so you might not like the way they look fashion wise but if you can avoid getting a blister on the back of your foot, you might want to try that taller sock. Yeah. Also, just avoid cotton socks because mm-hmm. that's just holding water up against your foot and that's 
it's not making anything good. Um, and also make sure that the heel is not slipping too much on your shoe. Right. The back of your shoe should move ever so slightly so that you don't feel like you're completely confined. Mm-hmm. But um, if you're getting that, that blister on the back of your heel, um, one of the easiest things to do if you're already wearing solid socks is to undo the top lace on your shoes and go through that like extra eyelet on shoes that um, tightens up the heel so that your heel won't slide quite as much. Yeah, locks in the heel. And when Kevin's talking about is the when you're lacing up your shoes and you lace it all the way up to the top, there's like that last hole that most runners don't necessarily lace through. If you skip the second to last hole and use that last hole to put your laces through before you tie them up, that can lock your heel into place better. Yes. So hopefully that explains it a little bit. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, but yeah, I used to have this problem too. And I had this problem with when I changed shoes. Like if I was in one type of shoe and then changed to a different type of shoe, the back of the shoe is just slightly different or hits the foot in yep. a slightly different spot. Okay. So you might notice that if if you tend to change shoes or rotate shoes that you might have some shoes that are okay that don't slip as much or that hit your foot in a, an okay spot and then other shoes might be rubbing more or tend to cause that in which case you might want to just use a different sock with that shoe or maybe that's not the right type of shoe for you yeah exactly all right if uh, if you get blisters that are forming on like the the underside of your foot on the arch side like really basically right at the arch of your foot you probably need more of a supportive shoe your foot is sliding around too much in that shoe it's rolling excessively to the inside mm-hmm. that's going to eventually flare up in other spots of your body but one of the really early signs that you could just use a more supportive shoe is a blister on the arch yeah and, and that includes like right under the big toe I think as well yes. like like not really not under the toe itself but the the ball of the foot yep. like under the first toe like if you're getting a blister forming there then you might want to think about more supportive shoes yes um on the opposite side if you get anything where you're blistering on the underside of your foot on the outside it's rare um but i've seen this one before i've sold shoes for way too many years you've um, seen a lot of feet seen a lot of feet <laughs> um you you may need less support or like you said um sometimes when you change from one shoe to the other it could literally just be that shoe like i've had people come in and say this shoe created a blister right here on me what do you you think it is and I'm like mm, I don't know have you tried that shoe before did you just change it like no I've been wearing this style of shoe for the last like five years I'm like well maybe it's just this shoe like I've I was in my upper teens low 20s and like my job was to figure out what was going on so I'd like take the shoe apart and find it was like oh it's literally misstitched on the inside and so really yeah like, so it not you're not talking about that type of shoe no. like you're talking about that individual actual shoe that actual shoe because okay. it's a, it's rare that people get blisters on the outside of their foot usually the issue is that you might actually need a less supportive shoe so that your foot's able to roll properly towards the inside right but it's a it's still even if that's the issue it's going to show up with pain probably before it gets to a blister um, so if you have, have blisters forming on the outside parts of it or up over the top of your feet, there's probably just a weird stitch. It may be uh, a misstitched shoe. Right. If you end up with blisters like under or between your toes, this is most likely related to a sock issue and like a moisture rubbing and chafing kind of problem. Because if the moisture is staying in that area and then you get the friction, that can cause the blister to... to um, pop up there. Mm-hmm. And so by changing your socks and going into a more moisture wicking type of sock, that will probably help you. Yeah. But I mean, this is probably the most common spot that people get blisters is like right up in between the toes, right up around the toenails where one toe rubs into the neighboring toe. And it's not even a sock issue. It's that your toes are literally moving past each other as you run mile after mile. If you're out there for a while and it's hot, you just get the best socks that you possibly can, pop the blisters and eventually your feet will come around and, and well, they'll, they'll move on to step two. They'll move on to a callus. Yes. Right. So basically blisters form in areas of friction and pressure. And so when that friction and pressure is new, they form this blister, which is a f- fluid-filled sac or bubble. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, like Kevin said, popping a blister, not fun, but 
can help. It's not usually painful because that skin's died off. So mm-hmm. you get a really, really clean needle. Hold it in, make in sure the Make sure you disinfect it. Yep. And, and make sure that you understand that this podcast is not providing any sort of medical advice. No. This is just our experience as runners and things that we would do. Pop many a blister. You have popped many blisters. <laughs> I, I I better knock on wood because I really haven't been plagued by like blisters at all. <laughs> My feet are covered right now. <laughs> right now. So after a blister, like if you get a blister in a certain spot, you probably will recognize that you might get, tend to get a blister in that same spot. And it's going to happen a couple of times. And then eventually it's going, that skin is going to get, rougher and your body is going to understand like okay this we need to improve the toughness of this skin again another hats off to our bodies for figuring out ways to help protect us right there there's a lot of friction in this area so first we inflame it and make sure we protect it and then if we see that it's still continuing on the body creates what are called calluses and calluses are not the prettiest and they're not the greatest things to look at and they are these areas of like hardened tough skin basically right it's your body's defense mechanism it's really your body trying to put up protection to prevent a blister from forming in that spot right so it's a good thing it's like you said not always the prettiest but it's generally a good thing sometimes the body gets a little excessive in this and the callus (laughs) builds up really strong so um filing them down helps but don't file them off right like the callus is there for a reason it's helping your body prevent a blister from forming right i I basically think as far as calluses go like and going back to whether or not you are proud of your feet or you know you're embarrassed by the way that your feet look because you're a runner you know runners when we take care of our feet like get pedicures or whatever you might want to do Sometimes the pedicurists that are trying, they try to shave these calluses off because they aren't the prettiest thing. And so I always tell them like not to basically. I mean, I don't have a a ton of calluses, thank goodness, but um, it is helpful to keep them there. But like Kevin said, if you want to shave them back just a little bit, you know, kind of um, file them back a little, that's okay. But you don't want to remove them completely because number one, there's going to be some very raw skin underneath it. Very raw skin. So if you take it off a callus, it's going to hurt like heck and you're probably not going to be able to run for a while. And number two, those are protecting, you know, you, that's your body protecting itself in areas of, um, common, common areas of friction. Right. I remember um, I was still out in California selling shoes and this woman had run the New York Marathon. Mm. And to treat herself after the marathon, she went out and got a whole fancy pedicure. And they went to town on her feet and got rid of all of her calluses and then, you know, painted them all up and did them all super pretty. She was fine, like during the pedicure. And her feet looked great afterwards. They did not look like the feet of a marathon runner. Someone who's just gone through the whole marathon training cycle and raced everything. Like the feet looked really pretty and then once she had like physically recovered from the marathon and could run again she went out for a run she got somewhere between like five and ten blisters on her first run back because there were no more calluses on her feet out (laughs) so so be careful i mean take them down a little bit because you know sometimes they they grow a little too much but um keep them there because they're useful because they're useful all right on to our toenails oh yes purple and missing toenails (laughs) all right so Running shoes should, as a rule, be about a size larger than the dress shoes that you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Like just straight off the bat, take whatever your like common dress shoe size is, add a full size to it and get your shoes around that. Yeah. At a minimum, a half a size. Like a half a size up is pretty much a minimum for any runner. We definitely recommend a full size. Um, I actually even go up a size and a half, to, to be honest with you. Like my normal shoe size is about a seven and a half. Sometimes I can wear an eight depending on you know the brand and all of that of course but I size up a full, all the way to a nine in my running shoes because part of it is because we're in South Florida and it's just yes. hot and humid down here so one thing you have to keep in mind is that when you run your foot swells and so as your foot swells it's going to push up against the sides of the shoes so if you are wearing a running shoe that actually fits you when your foot expands and swells it's going to be too small for you okay so that's why we suggest sizing up so that you can actually have room for your foot to swell and expand now this swelling and expansion is even worse in hot and humid weather right and also with every single step 
um, your foot hits the ground and sort of expands on impact, right. expands sideways and forward. It just expands. And tries to All the, the bones. Shoes. Yeah. The yeah. bones sort of relax and spread. Everything, everything grows. Mm-hmm. So, um, <laughs> and the longer you go, the more you're going to continue your foot to expand with the heat and it's just going to keep eventually pushing out mm-hmm. it, there's a there's an upper limit to this you can't start out in clown shoes and just say well at least i have enough room in the front because it's just going to feel so awkward to run at the beginning of it and you'll probably trip too yes. you know like if the shoes are too big it can definitely get very awkward and you're you'll find yourself like catching the toe yes um and be aware of that when you do size up so if you are currently running in a shoe that actually fits you and you are having problems with toenails and all these other foot problems and you decide to take our advice and size up understand that it might feel weird at first like you might find that your toe is catching yes i mean this one a lot of these i I go back to i've sold shoes i had a person who told me they're like i would rather have the purple toenails because they don't hurt me Mm -hmm. Uh, they they managed to have purple toes without pain okay a lot of people have purple toes and they hurt Mm -hmm. this person was like you know they I don't care that they look like that and they don't hurt. So I'm going to keep getting the shoes because we were like, look, you could just get a half a size bigger and you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, I know they feel super awkward to me. Yeah. Like, okay, but (laughs) as long as you're okay with it, this is, this is what's going to, what's going to happen. Right. So I think it's also important for you to kind of pay attention to which toenails are the ones that are more affected than others. Cause typically People have different toenails. Like some people, it's their big toe. Some people, it's their second toe. I think that's yours is your second toe because your second toe is actually a little bit longer than your big toe. Yes, you yes, have those definitely. Egyptian feet. There you go. <laughs> Mine is my fourth toe that typically is my toe that gets a little bit painful sometimes. And I've noticed that even though I don't, I have never lost a toenail. Um, I also have never run a full marathon, so that could be a reason why, but I've never um, lost any toenails and I don't really have purple toenails. So, but what I have noticed is that, that the toenail on the fourth toe is thicker than the other toenails and grows a little bit differently now. (laughs) My, my fourth toenail is thinner. Mm -hmm. When I was in college, the fourth toenail just gave up. I lost both of my fourth toenails and just, they, they fell off and they didn't try to regrow. Yeah. The second one fell off and then tried to regrow and it's thicker and it's awkward. Yeah. But the fourth one just literally gave up. It was just like, eh, <laughs> really we're up. done. We're just not going to have a nail on this one. <laughs> yeah, mine's like a little bit thicker and it kind of curves up a little. So I can tell that it's just, it's thickening there at the end to protect me. And then I have like two small calluses on my third and fourth toe, like on the outside on like the lateral side of the toe, yep. because that's just the way that my foot rubs in the shoe. Yeah, it's... It's all about how your foot specifically fits into that. And I mean, if you're getting real major issues with it, you can try changing different brands um, to deal with like the width of the toe box and that that might Mm -hmm. help you. Toe box is important. Yeah. um, I mean, if you're a woman who's having um, major issues on like the third and fourth toe, you could go to a man's style of shoe because it'll go from a B width to a D width and that'll give you some extra width through the forefoot. Oh, you think I should try that? Uh, no, your heel slips too much. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. <laughs> We've played that game. It doesn't We've work. We've played this game. So you're going to want to pay attention to the way that the shoe is constructed. And I'm, I'm glad that you just pointed out if you're a woman, because that made me think of pregnancy as well. Oh, okay. good one. Yeah. We forgot about this one. So pregnancy is one of those things that can totally change the shape and size of a woman's foot. So understand that if you have recently had a baby and you're now just getting back into running, you might need a totally different shoe you might need a totally different size like you have to understand that your body has gone through a lot of changes part of the changes that you experience as a woman during pregnancy is that your ligaments get a lot more lax that's how your body is allowed to expand itself that doesn't just apply to your stomach and pelvic muscles like your ligaments get lax everywhere in the body which includes your foot so you might start experiencing foot pain knee pain that you never had before because your ligaments are just looser than they used to be and and that does correct um after childbirth like after you have the baby it does start to go back to normal to an extent it depends on the person and it's also not an immediate spring back it's not an immediate spring back it definitely takes time um it you do tend to not be as lax after childbirth but like kevin said it takes time to do that and you might not go all the way back to your pre-baby tightness of your ligaments right so you (laughs) 
but I mean, you will eventually kind of start moving in that direction. So you could go like a cycle of shoes in something probably a little bit, uh, maybe a half a size larger, maybe Mm -hmm. something a little bit more supportive underneath you. And then after that, maybe you could transition back into, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the shoe that you were used to beforehand. Right. But I know and people, see if it works. I know people that after baby, they went up like a full shoe size and they never went back down. Yeah. You know, and that it just depends on what your body decides to do. So that just know that that's a normal thing and you might need to adjust based on what's going on with your body during pregnancy and then also after pregnancy. Yeah. And I mean, depending on how long you're running, if you're out there for over an hour, day in and day out, and you're not getting like off days in there, it gets to a point where your body just can't deal with the swell. So, you know, you can try like foot ice baths after a run, try and reduce the swelling in your foot so that it's more able to fit into your shoe the next day. Um, If your toenails are are turning purple, you can try to get to the blister underneath. Ooh, Um, that's painful. It can be, depends on how superficial that blister is, but you can try and, and get to the blood blister underneath. Um, or, I mean, your best move is really just trying to keep the, the toenails trimmed short, but not curved. Cut them straight across the top. You start curving them, you get ingrown to- toenails, all sorts of other issues. Yeah. So just keep all this in mind and, and basically assess if you want pretty feet or if you want running feet that are going to protect you and serve you well. Take pride. And there, I mean, there is a middle ground, of course. There's definitely a continuum. You don't have to choose, <laughs> you know, ugly feet or pretty feet, you know, but just keep all of it in mind when you're deciding what you want to buff away and trim and all of that stuff. It's a good, good way of putting it. <laughs> all right. So that is our discussion on feet. Who knows if we are going to go back to it at some point in time because, you know, it tends to just come up. We'll see how it goes. All right. So our second topic that we're going to talk about is chafing. Yes, and chafing. Chafing is one of those things that nobody likes to talk about, but most people have probably experienced. No one likes to have in the well, first nobody place. nobody likes to have it, of course. And, and I, I feel like a lot of people might fall into this first scenario. If you've ever finished a long run or like a long race and you're like, okay, I'm a little sore, I'm tired. And then you step into the shower. Oh, that's the worst. And suddenly there's this like lit up fire spot on you. You're like, oh, apparently I chafed in that spot. Mm-hmm. That is that is not a cool way to realize that there was a chafing issue. Nice like, pun there. It wasn't, wasn't very cool because it was burning. It was burning. <laughs> and I don't know if it's better to, to go into the shower knowing that that sensation's coming or not. But one way or the other, it, it hurts. Yeah. Oh, it definitely hurts. And it's funny because I actually never had chafing issues until recently. It was, I think it was in Key West was really the first time that I ever, had ever really chafed when we ran the Key West half. Mm-hmm. And it was like rainy that day. That was and, the issue. It was raining. Well, but the thing is, I've run in rain before and I never really had a problem. But for some reason that day, it was just like, and I had chafed in the weirdest spot. It was like on my arms. Yep. Um, but yeah, that was not comfortable. So now I, and, and since then it's like, my body's like, okay, well, apparently we can apparently do this, this now. Apparently this is what we do. Yeah. So now I've got Now I've experienced in multiple places. Like, um, I've gotten some on my back, which is weird. Like if I have my phone, if I'm running with my phone and I'm using my belt, apparently if it rubs a little bit, then I'll get a little chafing spot there. That's one of my worst ones is that belt. Yeah. I have, um, these shorts that I like that are kind of like spandex bike shorts that I have a pocket. And if I slide my phone in there it's pretty funny because if I if the face of my phone is facing my leg then I'll just like randomly call and text people because Good. who knows why my or phone... pictures you took yeah. a lot of pictures the other day oh my day. gosh last weekend on my run I came home and I had taken 396 pictures on my run of your thigh of my thigh it was like purple <laughs> like it was the most random thing um but if I turn the phone the other way I have one of those pop sockets on the back to like hold it and so I came home after a long run one day and I just had a circle of chafing on my upper thigh and it hurt so bad. Yeah, I um I mean let's let's just go right there. I get it between the thighs. Mm-hmm. It's it's brutal. Which is interesting because you're so thin. Like a lot of people think that chafing is only a problem if you've got like extra skin or rolls or layers or whatever, but you have like no fat on your body and you've still experienced chafing. I get it right on the like the liner of the of running shorts. Uh-huh. Right on the inside of my thigh. Basically, you can you can see the the circle of the liner wrapped around my thigh all the way. Really? And it gets real. Well, I mean, you can see it just because I I prefer the liner to be fairly tight on my leg. Yeah. But it causes rubbing issues on the inside. Mm-hmm. And do you get that with every run or just longer ones? No, they have to be over a certain distance. Yeah. Like they got to be pretty long. 
mm-hmm. but uh, that that's painful. Right. So chafing is caused by moisture plus friction. So basically, if you want to try to get rid of chafing, you can either reduce the moisture or reduce the friction. Yeah, and there's certain spots that trying to reduce moisture is not the easiest. Like yeah. you go with sweat sweat wicking fabrics and yeah. do the best that you can. Especially here in South Florida, though. I mean, it's just so hot and humid, especially in the summertime. Like you just can't avoid it. No, like and, you're I mean, gonna be wet. It's super hot all over the place, and if there you throw humidity on top of that, it doesn't matter how great the sweat wicking fiber is. Yeah. If the world around you is super humid, it that water is not going anywhere. Right. So it might be a futile uh, attempt for you to try to actually get rid of the moisture. So what you're going to try to want to do is eliminate those spots of friction as much as much as possible. So if you you can you have to kind of experiment with which what works best for you because looser clothing might not rub. You know you might have it might flow freely. It might mm-hmm. not you might not get any any of those rubbing spots. So that might be better for you. However, for other people tighter clothing might be better because it's going to like basically attach to your body and just stay there. Right. So you kind of go back and forth and figure out what you want. Um, one of the nice things, whether the sweat wicking fiber is actually doing anything to keep the moisture off of you, um, it tends to not rub as much as cotton. It tends to, to create less friction. Mm-hmm. So even if the, that fabric is rubbing on you, it's creating less friction as it rubs. Right. So Try to, you know, choose your fabrics, choose the the tightness or looseness of your clothing based on what's working better for you. You can also go old school and put some Vaseline in some places or body glide is another thing um, that a lot of runners use or even just deodorant, like putting some sort of barrier, um, like I don't want to say chemical barrier, but that's kind of what it is, you know, either Vaseline, deodorant, body glide, something there so that it's just reducing the amount of rub and friction on that spot. Yeah, apparently body glide is a U.S. thing. So we may have some listeners oh, really? that have no idea what we're talking about. Really? They'll ship outside, but it's a U.S. thing. Oh, that's interesting. Yep. All right, so those of you that are not in the U.S., because I know we have a lot of international listeners, let us know what some of the things that you guys listen to. We'd love to hear that. Um, so if you're in our Facebook tribe, pop in there and let us know what you guys use to reduce chafing and friction. Yeah, but deodorant <laughs> is deodorant's a good one because I know yeah. people that don't like the feeling of the body glide. They think that it's sticky. Yeah. But they make a, a variety of different formulas, so I think some of them work better than mm-hmm. others. Um, you know what we should try? Some of that stuff. Do you remember National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? That spray that he used on, yes. on the sled to reduce friction? Yes, yes. The cereal varnish? The Cere- non, non-nutritive cereal varnish? Yes, that's it. Um, yeah, so there's so there's that. But I mean, Spray it on. Chafing shows up in all sorts of areas. Yeah. And basically, you want to try and reduce the friction as much as possible. Right. Come up with something that's going to help whatever wherever it's chafing mm-hmm. slide smoothly yeah. or just prevent wherever's rubbing in the first place. Um, I get between, between my legs and then um, underarms mm-hmm. on a like a really long run, my arm rubbing against my side will eventually just put up a spot on Mm -hmm. like the side of my body and on the the inside of my arm. So um, on a long run, sometimes I'll I'll body glide. Sometimes I'll just go really excessive with the deodorant higher and lower than it should be. And Mm -hmm. that that tends to take care of the issue. Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's um, now that you mentioned that I used a different deodorant during the QS half marathon. And I think that was part of it too. That's one of the things I figured out. I was like, I was using a different, a new deodorant um, that was more of like a gel deodorant versus yep. like the solid type of deodorant that I would normally use. So it got sticky. It must have gotten, yeah. It, so it was, I think somehow that influenced it. So if you're finding chafing under your arms, you might want to change out your deodorant and see if a different brand might help you or a different form of deodorant, like either the spray or the gel or the solid. You might your body might respond better to one of the others. Yeah, and then sleeves versus sleeveless tops. You can try and figure out what's all working. That's true too. All right, so enough about chafing. On to tummy troubles. Oh, goodness. I don't think there's a single runner out there who has never experienced GI issues on a run. Mm -hmm. Like, I just don't think there is. I had them a lot when I first started running. I would get side stitches on most runs. Mm -hmm. And it's just not comfortable. And that's like the, that's the lowest level of GI issues. Oh, yeah. Oh, I got a little side stitch. Like, okay, we'll squeeze it and make the cramp go away. It's going to be okay. Yeah, but I mean, tummy trouble. 
troubles can range from anything like little side stitches to like major GI upset and needing to find a bathroom ASAP. I mean, if you guys are familiar with some professional runners and racers out there, I mean, they are very apparent. Like sometimes these people have major issues during a marathon that either they decide to stop or they, or they don't. don't decide to stop. <laughs> I mean, I'll never forget that one race walker guy from, what was it? Was that 2016? 2016, yeah. The, like he was, it was the, um, is that what it's called? Race walking? Yeah, it was the 50 kilometer race walk. Yeah. And he just... Just started going. Just started going and just didn't stop and was shoving cloths and sponges and things trying to keep it from... And it just was... It was it was gross to watch, and, and it was funny to watch the the pack of runners so behind bad. him because he was winning at the time. Yeah. So everybody was following him, and the problem with a race walk as opposed to like a marathon, marathon just keeps going. Mm-hmm. In a race walk, it's a very confined distance. It's like a quarter it's like a mile. Loop. Yeah, it's a yeah. loop. It's like a quarter mile down and back, and they just keep going. And so as he's going, runners are now trying to like veer around puddles being oh, left on the ground. It oh was, my God. It was a mess. So gross. They're out there trying to like hose off the road. It was, oh, it was bad. Right. So <laughs> why do runners end up having GI issues? I think we saw one statistic that said like about 30% of runners have experienced a major GI upset. As as related to running. So basically running shuts digestion down because your body needs the energy in other places. So we have two systems in our body. There's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Your sympathetic nervous system is in in control of the fight or flight response. So that's typically um, the stuff that increases your heart rate, increases your breathing rate. It's the thing, it's the part of the body or the part of the nervous system that's going to allow you to run farther, faster. But when that system is activated, the other system is deactivated. And your parasympathetic is your rest and digest system. So that's like your digestion. There's not as much blood flow going to your intestines um, to help digest your food. So if you've recently eaten and not fully digested that food, there's a likelihood that you will end up with issues out on the run because you just have food sitting in your system or in your stomach that hasn't been digested yet. Yeah, I mean, if you still have food in your stomach it's not going to get moved out of your stomach as you run because yeah. your body's focusing on doing other things. So mm-hmm. that's going to quickly lead to nausea. If it's just started moving its way out of the stomach, could lead to a lot of belching mm-hmm. on the run. Um, I know I was in one of my high school teammates was very well known for excessive belching on the run. Oh, really? I, just nonstop. He would just keep going. Mm-hmm. Like, did, when did you eat last? He was like, I don't know, on the way to practice? What? Stop doing that. It's gross. <laughs> right. And so that, you know, you, some people think belching is, is gross and, and whatever, but let's all, if, as we move down the digestive track, yes, this right, is true. then um, we're going to talk about our intestines and our our bowels, right? And so in general, running and exercise helps you to actually stay regular because it is moving things around more. Yes. I actually, I saw an article the other day. I didn't click into it, but it was like, um, is why is quarantining changing your trips to the bathroom? It was like, Oh really? I I assume this was one of the big points is if you are exercising more, Mm -hmm that's going to change it. And if you basically used to exercise and you basically shut it down, you're no longer regular anymore oh, that's because interesting. exercising helps maintain this sort of rhythm of your mm-hmm. body. It's a really good thing for you. Um, running can, shall we say, inspire a bowel movement. So <laughs> inspire. if, if you're on a long run and you didn't go right before you started, yeah, you might not make it through the entire length of your run. Right. That's that's part of the issue. Yeah, and if you've ever been to a race, you know that the pre-race porta potty lines can be very long because nerves don't help anything, right? So if you're just going out on your normal weekly long run, you might have some issues if you hadn't spent some time in the bathroom before you go. But when you add nerves into the equation before a race, that's just going to put things on a different level. Right. And people go in one of two directions. Yeah. Like nerves do not just say, oh, we're going to have no effect on the bowels. They will either make them really hard to come by. Right. Or. Constipation. Or really easy to come by and you get runner's trots. Runner's trots? Runner's trots. I've never heard that term before. Yeah. Running diarrhea. Runner's trots. All right. Well, there you go. So if you learn nothing from today, you learned a new term maybe. (laughs) So. 
I, I personally, I always wake up about a half an hour before my run, at least, depending on what time I'm running, but usually a half an hour so that I can go and sit for a little bit. And I mean, this might be too much sharing, too much information, but it's important to get that out before you go run to prevent that mid-run cramping, sloshing, flatulence, like those bowel issues that can show up during a run. Like some people that want to get up and, and run early in the morning. They want to get up and they want to be out the door in five to 15 minutes. I mean, that's you. So do you tend to have GI issues when you're out on a run or no, because you're waking up with an empty stomach? No, you wake up with an empty stomach yeah. or I, I mean, I've done this for long, so long. I've trained myself that I can get up, go to the bathroom and be out foot on the pavement in seven minutes. Oh, wow. I'm just efficient. Your body just knows. Oh, you're just efficient. <laughs> Right. So I basically just make sure I give myself enough time just to make sure everything is good and out and then and then you're and good then to I'm go. on my merry way. Right. Yeah. And then for the most part I am. The one time I had some GI upset on a run where I felt like I need to find a bathroom right now is when I tried using dates to uh, fuel. yes, mid-run fueling. Yes. This is part of the issue is long runs are already going to cause an issue mm-hmm. just because you're out there for so long. So you got to figure out how to eat before and then and you know, go to the bathroom before and then you you're taking in water during it, you're taking in fluids, mm-hmm. whatever it is, taking in food. That all has to get through your body. Yeah. And deal with it correctly. It you needs to be a, digested to a point so that you can get the energy that you need from it. Right. You went with a fibrous, fibrous mid-run fueling. I know. Well, I mean, you're the one that suggested that to me. You're like, I love dates on the run. I was like, okay, I'll try these. And I had tried raisins before. Yep. So I had already experimented with dried fruit. This is just a different type of it. Right. And a lot of people have major issues with dried fruit as one of the things. They're like, oh, I don't want to try the goose. I want something more natural, like a fruit or something like that. But it can be very fibrous and uh, lead you to need to bathroom right now. Right now. Like right now. Right. So it's important for you to understand that the timing and variety of food really plays a huge role in how you feel during the run. Now, like always... Your body is different than every other runner's body out there. So this is a massive experiment for you to figure out by, you know, trying different things out. What is working for you? And the frustrating part of it is that it's a constantly moving target. Yeah, what I could run with in high school and what I can run with now, you can you can train your body to get better at running with certain things. Yeah, like I, I really think that you can be like, no, 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 I... I think this is going to be a good pre-run fuel for me or a good mid-run fuel for me. And if it doesn't work one time, that doesn't mean that it's it's done and off the table. Mm-hmm. Now, there's such a variety out there of mid-run fueling options that if it doesn't work for you, try something else. Like, you don't have to just keep grinding away and being like, nope, I will make this work. But it, it can probably happen again. Um, a good general guideline is that fats and proteins just don't get processed very easily, very quickly, quickly in yeah. general, mm-hmm. let alone while you're running. Right. So the length of the run plays a role in what you're going to choose to eat before um, before you actually go out and run and also timing, like how far in advance are you eating? Because if you're eating a, a couple of hours in advance, it's, it's mostly probably going to be okay for you to have like a regular meal or like a small size meal. But if you're eating within an hour of running, you really want to go more carbohydrate heavy on that meal because carbohydrates get digested and processed more quickly. Right. Also, if you're trying to get something in close to your run, it's probably like, well, it's been a while since I've eaten. I need some energy. If you're going with proteins and fats, it's going to take a while for your body to burn them down and even have it as accessible energy. So you want something that's more carbohydrate based so that you can then access that energy and feel strong on your run. Exactly. So we just want you guys to know that GI issues are common. They're experienced by runners of all shapes and sizes and even elite and professional runners. Yeah, I mean, one of the ways that people connected, I think, so much with Shalane Flanagan, um, people loved her in the first place, mm-hmm. um, just because she's she's very inspiring and, and worked really hard and ran off and, and won the New York Marathon. Because stuff she's like great. That. She's awesome. She has a great cookbook. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And but, she said the F word when she crossed the finish line and went in New York. Yeah, like 100 meters out, <laughs> pump the fist in the air yeah. and visibly, clearly said it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but one of the things that really made people feel as though they knew her more was the Boston Marathon after that, where she pulled off the side of the road into a porta potty and was in and out in like record time. Mm-hmm. Like, it looked like she was Superwoman because of the like the quick change, you know, yeah. like in and out of the uh, the porta potty just immediately. Yeah. It's like what? How fast was that? And it's like, well, you know, she's an elite; she's trained for it. Yeah. But people were connected because they're like, I have also made it to mile whatever in the marathon and mm-hmm. been like, wow, I really need these porta potties mm-hmm. now. And she did it. She was in. She was out and on her way. And people were like, yep, I. I'm cheering for her now. Mm-hmm. Like if they weren't before, they're like that one. I want to. I want to see if she gets it back up into the lead pack and what happens with her. If she did it that fast, she probably didn't wipe. She certainly didn't wash her hands for twenty seconds. <laughs> so, all right. So that's. I think that can kind of wrap up our GI issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the final thing we want to talk about that is um, clothes and shoes, like. My clothes and my shoes stink. They just have this stench to them, and it's hard for me to get it out. I mean, I know that this is a topic that is not, I wouldn't say common, but it it pops up several times a year in my, like, women's running group. People are like, my clothes stink so bad. How do I get this smell out? I've washed them a gazillion times. I've used all these things. What should I do? Um, All right, so let's start with why it's there in the first place. Um, The wicking clothes... Well, they do a good job of getting rid of the sweat. They don't do a good job of getting rid of the stench. They almost seem to hold the stench They really more. do. They really do. There's some brands that work better than others. Yep. There's some brands that have literally sewn like silver fibers, mm-hmm. like actual silver into the clothes because silver is antibacterial, right. antimicrobial. It, like it prevents the bacteria from living because that's what the smell is. It's not the smell of you. It's the smell of bacteria growing on your clothes clothes and Mm -hmm. when you break it down to that level you're like oh uh, that really is kind of gross yeah (laughs) because there's stuff living on your clothes right and it it, if you've ever noticed like I don't know if you guys have different clothes for race day versus like your regular training days some people do some people don't but a lot of times people will notice that their race day clothes whatever they wear for their races tend to have even a stronger smell because of the nerves because have you ever noticed I know uh, like if you're if you get nervous and you sweat because you're nervous like sweat like nervous sweat smell smells different than regular sweat smell yes definitely. like there's different types of sweat and, and it can have different smells based on the hormones that are being released at that time right so race day tends to have some nerves that come with it but also if you got a workout that you're not sure if you're going to do very well on you got nerves like yeah. and they're they're showing up and they might be not full-blown race day nerves mm-hmm. but you're going to be a little bit nervous about that and yeah. that sweat is going to have its own scent to it as well right and it also matters what temperature you're running in like you know if you're running in hot humid weather you're probably going to be a little bit stinkier than cold weather I know that I notice that when when I run like if I run in the 40s I don't smell as bad when I get back (laughs) yeah but if you run in like super cold weather and you've got to do multiple layers you know that base layer is rough (laughs) (laughs) you you know it for those of you living in snow you know that that in that whatever that tightest layer is not pleasant all right so what can we do about this smell so number one rinse your clothes as quickly as you can so Kevin basically came up with this idea that he just jumps he just steps right into the shower fully clothed yes and then rinses out all of his clothes when um as he showers and as he you know takes them off in the shower and i've started to do this too because i I didn't used to do that but you you've seemed to be a a high proponent of this and I, i have noticed that it has helped for sure it definitely helps like some of the the older clothes I have, like we've had to attack them with different methods, but some of the newer <laughs> stuff, it's just never really grown that stench. Cause yeah. you know, it gets like the clothes are fine for several months, but yeah. as several months move into several years, it just gets to a point where it's like, all right, that smells and I can't do anything about it anymore. Mm-hmm. Maybe I just need a new pair of shorts, but some of the newer stuff, it's not, it doesn't seem to be progressing and sort of growing in intensity. So I think that the uh, the shower to just rinse everything yeah. as quick as you possibly can is a big one. Yeah, it definitely prolongs the amount of time until that stench decides it wants to show up. Right, which is tricky if you're like going off for runs in other locations because sometimes people want to change immediately, mm-hmm. put something dry on, and then get into the car and drive home, and their like wet running clothes just get tossed into a plastic bag. 
right which is just like how could i make the bacteria thrive as best as possible <laughs> why don't i wrap it up in a wet plastic bag right. like that's that's your worst environment right so the second thing you could do is try to attack it with something antibacterial so vinegar is a um, typically one that a lot of people recommend putting white vinegar, putting bleach, you know, just make sure that you're checking the manufacturer's label of your clothing because some things say no bleach allowed because it actually destroys the fabric yep. and destroys the antibacterial stuff that's already sewn into the fabric. So make sure you're checking those labels before you just start throwing random things in your washing machine. Yeah, vinegar is usually a safe bet. Bleach, yeah. bleach is dicey and you don't want to, you know, ruin your favorite race day singlet or kit for those of you in other parts of the world. Kit? Kit. Okay, mm-hmm. that's a singlet. That's a singlet. And there you go. So um, just, you're just coming out with all sorts of vocab today. I'm on it. You're <laughs> so, um, you know, there's all these different d- detergents now that are like race or um, exercise clothing specific too. Yes. And I've I've tried a lot of them, and I really feel like they're hit or miss. Like I really haven't found one that I'm like, yes, it's definitely this one. But yes, we definitely have to reorder that that right. one that costs twice as much as normal stuff. Yeah. It but hasn't I will, been as successful. I will share a, ve- a very recent discovery. This is great. This is this is a really... I'm so happy that I found this out. So basically what happened a couple of weeks ago, this is very recent, I jumped into the pool in my sports bra after... A, I think I was running or doing yard work or something. And it's one of the sports bras that I have that typically has that slight scent to it. Yep. Slight, um, slight in air quotes. <laughs> you're so... <laughs> That is not true. Um, so this is one of those sports bras that I've, you know, soaked a bunch of times and it's, it just needs to periodically get soaked and taken care of. So anywho, I jumped in the pool, played in the pool for a little bit with the kids and then, you know, obviously showered and all that good stuff. What I noticed is when that sports bra then went through the washing machine, it came out with no stench whatsoever. Like it smelled as clean as it ever had, I would say. And I was like, huh, that's weird. And so I was like, I wonder if it was the chlorine in the pool. Now clearly chlorine kills bacteria, fungus, all that stuff. So I started, I saw, and it's also in the sun. So what I've started doing for those of you that have access to an outdoor pool, this is something that you might want to try. I now, if I have a sports bra that is not smelling good after a run, I will just take it off and throw it into the pool. And I will just leave it in the pool for an hour or two or a day until, if I forget about until it. Until you tell me to go fish it out. <laughs> the girls, there was one time that the, when I first did this, the girls were like, Mom, I think there's a dead animal in the pool. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, no, 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 that's just my sports bra. Don't worry, it's just mommy's underwear. <laughs> <laughs> So, so this has been such a great solution that I have just found. So if you have access to a pool, I would highly recommend just throwing all your stinky clothes in the pool and leaving them there for a couple of hours and let the chlorine and the sunshine just go to work and take care of all of that bacteria. It's a similar attack to um, my post-run shower is mm-hmm. just sort of rinse off what's on it right. as quick as possible. As quick as possible. Yeah. But I think the chlorine definitely helps. Definitely. So um, yeah, I was very happy about that. All right, all right. My shoes stink. Let's go. Oh, your shoes are bad. No, my, my most recent pair is not that terrible. The not one before that terrible. was vicious. Those red ones were awful. Yeah. But I mean. You could smell them coming into the house. Yes. And yes. they sat right by the front door and it was just like, oh, Kevin, you have to move these because because like anytime we had a visitor over, I'm like, that's the first thing that hits their noses when they come into our house. You know, maybe I didn't want your sister visiting. <laughs> oh, good thing she doesn't listen to the podcast. All right. So <laughs> there are tons of products out there designed to help your shoes not smell. Part of the issue is that your shoes get wet and then it's hard to dry them out because they're wet all the way up to the toes. Yeah. How do you dry that whole thing out? And there's so many products out there. Um, I literally just went on Amazon to try and, and figure out some of the like highlights because I know what we do. Um, there were things that looked like two mini vacuums that like went into them and then they warmed up and were sucking out moisture as they heated up the inside of your shoe. Okay. It, yeah, they were crazy. They looked like two mini dustbusters. Oh, that's interesting. I have no idea if they work, but they kind of look cool. Yeah, I mean, and the worst is when you end up in the rain or in mud or puddles or those kind of things where your shoes just get saturated. You Completely know? saturated. I mean, that's leading to the worst smelling shoes. So basically, you want to avoid any of those powders or sprays because all those are doing 
they're just masking the problem. They're not actually going in there and, and killing anything and drying out their shoes. They're just putting like a mask over it. Well, and they're making a mess. Yeah. Like you could definitely throw like baking soda directly into your shoe, yeah. but then you have a shoe full of baking soda. Right. Like how are you going to rinse that out? You're going to have to wet it again. Get your shoe soaking wet <laughs> yeah. again. So, um, this is the thing. I, I like something that's already contained inside of like a ball or a bag. Usually what's in those, um, there's some that are like cedar chips. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some that are activated charcoal. There's some that are baking soda. Some have scents to them already that tries mm-hmm. to like remove and mask the smell. There's, right. there's a lot of different options out there. Um, one of the big new pushes is the activated charcoal ones. Yeah. Um, that seems to be like actually attacking the bacteria and trying to fix the problem, not just mask the problem. Right. So the first thing you want to do, like same thing with the clothes, the clothes you want to rinse off as soon as possible, the shoes you want to dry out as soon as possible. So one thing you can do, especially if they're really bad and you were in rain and puddles is you want to pull that insert out. Okay. Pull the insert out of the shoe and put the shoe in the sun if you can, put it outside, let it dry off as quickly as possible. I also then take that insert a lot of times and I put it into like my delicates bag or into a um, pillowcase and throw it in the washing machine because the inserts are washable. Um, The other thing you're going to want to do is put a towel all the way to the toe of the foot and then make sure that the towel or cloth is hanging out of the back of the shoe because that will then act as like a wick and to pull the moisture out of the shoe. Yeah. I, when I first started, I, that is a trick I learned years and years ago. And we used to tell people shove newspaper into the front, but yeah. there just aren't that many people getting newspapers anymore. No. So it's just not really a great trick, yeah. but a towel works. Um, if you keep the shoe kind of, uh, undo the laces a bit so that the shoe can really open up yeah, and, like and air out air a out, lot. Yeah. Um, you can run a fan over it. Um, you know, if you're, if you are living in a place where there is snow, that same rack that dries out your snow boots can be useful to dry out your running shoes. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that there's people down here that they hang their shoes over a fan in the garage mm-hmm. and just let it go. Yeah. I'm like, doesn't your garage smell? They're like, yes, but my house doesn't. Yeah. So, so there you go. <laughs> it's the trade-off. It's the trade-off, right? Um, you want to avoid lengthy submersion of your shoes. So like putting them in the washing machine because the foam can absorb water and you don't want the foam in your shoes absorbing water. So this is one of the reasons that, you know, some people like to wash their shoes and they say that it's fine. They put them in the washing machine and they, they say that that helps, but you have to be careful that your foam isn't absorbing the water. Did did I say foam or form? Foam. Okay. Isn't absorbing the water. And then all of a sudden your shoe is heavier than it was before. And just squishing with every step. Yeah. So that's annoying. Um, also avoid the high heat. Uh, because this will prematurely break down the foam. Mm. So it's tricky to take your shoes and stick them into a dryer. It tends to get really warm. If you put it on like the lowest cycle, um, other than the shoes clunking around inside of your dryer, if it's under not crazy heat, that can work. Don't stick them right on top of like a heater inside of your house. Mm -hmm. You'll melt the shoes and burn your house down. That's probably a bad idea. Not a good idea. Um, But you know, it's helpful if there's sunlight Um, but don't get them, don't get them super, super hot. Okay. So those are our big recommendations for shoes and clothing. So if running is so gross, why in the world do we still do it? Well, it's, it's the same (laughs) reason why we all get up super, super early and head out while it's still dark or why we go out for a run after work, why we go out for a run just smack in the middle heat of the day in the middle of a downpour while trudging through snow because we run. Right. And this is just one of those things that we do as runners. Like runners do hard things and we take pride in them. So that's why we said at the beginning, a lot of runners are very proud of their ugly feet and their ugly toes and all these random things that they can talk about and complain about, especially to other runners. Like when you talk to another runner, they understand. Yes. The dinner conversation between two runners. (laughs) Much different than most other yes. etiquette. Yes, you know. and runners have to realize when they're at dinner with non-running people <laughs> at the table that maybe that GI distress you had on your morning long run is not appropriate dinner conversation. <laughs> yeah, people don't understand it if you, if they're not runners. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you talking about that right now? And mm-hmm. like, runners are like, yeah, I get it. Yep. Yeah, no one needs to know the color of your toes during dinner. But mm-hmm. you know, runners can. Runners can totally, you know, enjoy and and commiserate or you know, share the joy of the experience. Right. So 
all of these little running quirks, like we say gross, but they're really not gross. You know, they're just, it is what it is. It's what makes you a runner. And so don't feel ashamed of it. And just understand that as a runner, other runners get you. And that's why it's so important to find that community of runners that you can connect with that understand all of these things. So again, if you're not a, a part of our Facebook tribe, you really should get get in there. Um, you could go to realliferunnerstribe.com to request access to that group and it's just it's such a fun group of people and we just keep getting more and more um, runners in there that are interacting daily from all over the world Um, and it's such a it's a fun group of people to be around right now when this episode opens up you've got to get some something going on inside of uh, of our facebook group of like what did we miss? Oh, yeah. Because I'm sure that there are things that people want to talk about. So I'm sure. So we're definitely going to open up a thread <laughs> when this episode airs um, to learn more about your, uh, I don't want to say disgusting, but... Nope, your personal running experience. Personal running experiences <laughs> that you would like to share with other runners and not feel bad or ashamed about. There you go. Here we go. Okay, so now it's time for one of our favorite segments of the week. It's Runner of the Week. Runner of the Week time. Where's the woohoo? Woo! <laughs> All right. So our runner of the week this week um, is an awesome person. And I'm just so, so excited to honor her this week as our runner of the week. She has been such an amazing addition to the tribe and has posted her runs, her wins, her highs, her lows, and has just been so supportive, um, not only by posting her own stuff, but also supporting the other people in the tribe. Yes, but it's, it's definitely supportive of others and her, I don't know, enthusiasm and everything is bringing out other people to post their wins and losses, their journeys. Right. And that's one of the beautiful things about the tribe is just by you posting your journey and your experiences, you're allowing other people to become more courageous. And this is part of her story. So until we like um, get into her story a little bit more, why don't we go ahead and announce it? You want to do my drum roll? So our runner of the week this week is Krista Todd. Congratulations, Krista. Thank you so much for everything that you contribute to the tribe on a weekly basis, on a daily basis, for you putting yourself out there and posting and encouraging other people. Um, I will be completely honest with you. I teared up a little bit when I read your email to us because it just made my heart so darn happy. Like it was a Disney movie. A Disney movie. I do cry in every Disney movie. That's what I'm saying. Teared up a little. Okay, but... um, (laughs) Your story is so inspiring to me because you are like part of the people that I just have wanted to help with this whole journey that we're on, you know, with our podcast and our our Facebook group and our academy and all of that. Like it's people like you that I have really wanted to to reach out and help. And so um, we're going to we, we reached out to Krista to tell her that she was our runner of the week. And this is the email that she, we got back from her. And so you guys will kind of understand what I'm saying more after we read this. You want to start us out? Sure. All right, go for it. All right. She says, oh my goodness, I'm so honored. I've been running inconsistently for three years. Shortly after I began running, I started experiencing some health issues, one of those being a seizure disorder. I really connected with Kevin and Angie because Kevin had experienced seizures around the same time I did. I was told to stop running and did stop running for a time, but I missed it and I didn't want to let this take running away from me. Kevin and Angie are so down to earth and easy to listen to that I just couldn't get enough of their podcast. I started learning a lot of the basic things about running that I didn't know. Then I joined the RLL tribe. I really never let anyone know that I was running because I did not consider myself a real runner. I thought it was too slow. I didn't run far enough. I didn't look like what I thought a runner was supposed to look like. Joining the real life runners tribe has completely changed my perspective about myself as a runner. The group has been so accepting and supportive and have told me that I am a real runner no matter what my pace or distance. I even started posting my paces and distances with pride. The positive reception I received encouraged me to run more and post more. Putting myself out there like that was a huge win for me. Having a group who understands the runner side of me has meant the world to me. I have not only gained confidence as a runner, but also as a person. I know I can push myself and I can accomplish hard things. 
The podcast led to the tribe. The tribe led me to do two challenges, and the challenges led me to the RLR Academy. I am in a base building plan right now, and I am amazed at the progress I have made. I didn't know I should be running intervals or doing strength training. I am already a minute faster in my average pace than I was when I started a month ago. It is so exciting to see the progress, but also to have Angie and Kevin be so accessible. They have been right there with me the whole way. I am honored to be chosen as runner of the week. This group has changed my life. Woohoo! I mean, those are some really strong words. Yeah, that was that was really powerful. Amazing. That was really nice stuff. Krista, thank you so much for all of these beautiful words and, and being so kind um, with what you say about the group and the podcast and, and the program. Um, it's just... I mean, I, I'm in a way I'm speechless because it's just everything that I've hoped that this would do for people. Right, but she points, and it's what you said at the beginning, is part of her posting and then being received well then allowed her to post even more. Right. And then her posting more allows other people to feel like they can post mm-hmm. even more. And that's that's what's making this tribe so so great because people don't feel sort of judged by anybody else when they put it out there because there's no reason to feel judged in this world it's just not exactly because you are a runner and you are a real life runner and your story is so inspirational so thank you so much for sharing it with us and sharing your journey along this path with the whole tribe um we thank you so much and we just want to continue to encourage you to just keep getting out there because I know that this is just the beginning for you and I'm so excited to see what the future holds for you and your running and all the possibilities ahead. All right, one more thing. Our challenge for Invite Your Friends into the Facebook Tribe is wrapped up. So um, we were going to announce the winner now, but we thought it'd be fun to go live inside of the Facebook Tribe and have a drawing. So we'll be drawing uh, tomorrow on Thursday, May 7th. Yep. All right, got it. Thursday, May 7th. We're going to go live in the tribe um, to do our drawing for the winner of this contest. Sounds like fun. Yeah. so It's always fun to go so live in you, the tribe. Yeah, so if you're listening to this on Thursday morning, we probably haven't gone live yet, so probably make sure you not. catch us. Um, and if you're listening to this at some point after that, then you can always go back and catch that live video in the tribe. But it's always fun to do drawings live. So be sure to... Catch us tomorrow live in the Facebook Tribe. If you want to be a member, you can go to realliferunnerstribe.com to sign up and request access. You have to answer all of the membership questions in order to be approved for membership. Just remember that as you're going. Yes, break out your old calculus textbooks. They are tricky. They are definitely not. How long have you been running and how did you find out about us? (laughs) (laughs) So please answer the questions if you want approval. Um, And finally, we are running our five-day running challenge again. This is something that Krista just mentioned in her um, little letter to us as one of the things that she really got a lot of benefit from. And there's a lot of people that have gained a ton of really awesome insights and benefits from doing this five-day running challenge. So if you want to be a part of that, it is free. You can go to 5dayrunningchallenge.com to sign up for that. Um, So, yeah, that's about it. That's about it. All right, cool. So, guys, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate you spending this time with us, as always. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 139. Now get out there and run your life.